Pelvic Rehab Research Podcast. My name is Becca Bissadolshensky, and I'll be your host guiding you as we take a deep dive into all things pelvic floor and research-based. Whether you're a pelvic newbie or a seasoned clinician, I'm here to help busy therapists listen through the Women's Health Study Guide. So if you're studying for the Women's Certified Specialist Exam or just interested in learning more about pelvic health research, we've got you covered. Hey everyone, we're in our final ACL article during week two, focusing on female athlete. This is an article by Timothy Hewitt, Kevin Ford, and Gregory Meyer called The Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injuries in Female Athletes, Part 2, A Meta-Analysis of Neuromuscular Interventions Aimed at Injury Prevention. So this is going to be a meta-analysis of different articles. These articles aren't super long, but they are pretty dense. So let's get started. ACL research has more than 2,000 scientific articles published. Despite all of these studies, OA occurs at 10 times the rate in ACL injured patients regardless of the treatment, surgical or non-surgical. This leads to a 100 times greater risk of radiographically diagnosed OA. We know that female athletes have a nine-fold increase in terrorists compared to males in high school. We know this affects athletic and academic performance. This article touches on the importance of efforts to decrease ACL injuries and that they should focus on factors that make women more susceptible to injury and develop interventions to aid in the prevention of these injuries. The following is a meta-analysis to combine the results of six independent studies drawn from the systemic reviews on ACL injury interventions in female athletes. This analysis summarizes the findings of all six studies to draw generalized conclusions on the effectiveness of neuromuscular training interventions in reducing ACL injuries during sports in female athletes. All right, so let's talk about the methods. This meta-analysis was designed to identify the effectiveness of training interventions to prevent ACL injuries during athletics. Databases searched included Medline and CINAHL. These databases included randomized control studies and prospective cohort studies. Subject terms included sports injury and knee injury, then was further limited to intervention and control. The meta-analysis shows the total ACL injuries in the training group with an N of 29 versus the control group, which was an N of 110. These six studies significantly favor injury prevention training programs for reducing ACL injuries. So let's talk about these six studies. The first one being by Hewitt et al., the effects of intervention training on ACL injury incidents. Hewitt et al. conducted a prospective cohort study monitoring high school-aged female soccer, basketball, and volleyball players. 15 teams were included in the neuromuscular training intervention, and an additional 15 females were used as a control group. 13 male teams were also included as an additional control group. A limitation of this study was that there were more volleyball players in the trained group than in the untrained group. The intervention consisted of a six-week neuromuscular training intervention performed three times a week for 60 to 90-minute sessions before their competitive season. Non-contact ACL injury risk was significantly reduced in the trained female athletes with a power score of greater than 0.05. The rate of non-contact ACL injury was decreased by 72% in those athletes who underwent preseason neuromuscular training as compared with the untrained group. Five untrained female athletes, three of them were in basketball and two of them were in soccer, sustained a non-contact ACL injury compared to none of the trained female athletes. So this was the first study to demonstrate the effects of neuromuscular training on reducing ACL injury rates in female athletes. This is a well-designed perspective study that they noted would probably be stronger as a randomized control study. The second article was by Height et al. They performed a neuromuscular training intervention on high school female soccer players. The study consisted of a control group with an N of 258 
and an intervention group with an N of 42. The intervention group participated in 13 treadmill speed training sessions two times a week and seven foot agility sessions, line jumps that progressed from unidirectional to multidirectional to two inch incremented barrier hops, completed within a seven week period. The trained group had significantly fewer, 14%, overall injuries than the control group, which was 33.7%. Although there was no differences in the occurrence of ACL injuries between the groups, anterior cruciate ligament ruptures occurred in 2.4% of the trained group compared with 3.1% of the controls. The occurrence of medial collateral ligament sprains and tears was 2.4% compared to a 2.3% in the intervention and control groups, respectively, so generally pretty close for that MCL. The lack of significant difference in ACL injury rates may possibly be attributed to the fact that only minimal, low-intensity plyometrics were incorporated into the training protocol, like footwork and agility drills. Also, the definition of injuries were vague and non-objective. For example, bursitis was defined as a knee injury in this study. Okay, so the third article was by Soderman et al. This was a randomized control trial on the professional female soccer players from Sweden. Seven teams making an N of 62 were randomized into the intervention group and six teams with an N of 78 served as controls. There were no significant differences in traumatic injuries or ACL injuries between groups. The intervention group had a 4.45 injury rate per 1,000 hours of practices and games compared to 3.83 in the control group. The intervention group sustained significantly more major injuries, eight major injuries, than the controls. This study was conducted with a very low number of subjects though. The treatment did not appear to be effective in reducing ACL injury incidents. The lack of significant difference in ACL injury rates may be due to the fact that only minimal balance training was incorporated into the protocol. Also, this study had a balance board training that the athlete was supposed to perform at home. You can imagine that this home exercise program for an athlete may have poor compliance if there's an at-home requirement for balance training. This may have different compliance if it was just added into their exercise program with practice. The balance training program was supposed to be performed three times per week, and it did not reduce lower extremity sprains. If this specific research article seems a little vague to you, that's because it was pretty vague in the meta-analysis as well. The fourth article was by Mikkelbust et al. They performed a prospective cohort study on the ACL on female team handball players. This study monitored ACL injury incidents for three consecutive seasons in three divisions of Norwegian female handball. An intervention designed to prevent ACL injuries was instituted during the second and third seasons of play. There were 29 ACL injuries in the initial control season compared with 23 and 17 in the next two intervention seasons. There was a significant reduction in the number of non-contact injuries from the control season to the second intervention year. So there was 18 during the control year, and then there was only seven in the intervention year for year two. When separated by division and training intervention compliance, the elite division that performed the intervention had a significant reduction in ACL injuries. This was 2.3% compared with the athletes who did not complete the intervention, which is 89 When the authors separated out contact injuries, they observed 18 non-contact ACL injuries in the control season and seven in the second intervention season. Although there was a trend towards a reduction in ACL injuries for the entire cohort, it was not statistically significant except for the elite division. So one explanation for this phenomenon is the fact that elite players participated in five to 10 practice sessions per week in contrast to the minimum 15 sessions over the five to seven week training period. Therefore, the Division I athletes may have had more training opportunities to gain ACL injury prevention protective effects 
through training. Okay, on to our fifth article in this meta-analysis, Mandelbaum et al. in a controlled cohort study. This study enrolled soccer players between the ages of 14 and 18 years over a two-year period. During the first year, 52 teams with an N of 1,041 were enrolled in the intervention group and 95 age and skill match teams with an N of 1,905 that were untrained served as controls. The second year intervention group consisted of 45 teams with an N of 844 and 112 teams with an N of 1913 served as the control group. So we're talking about a pretty big study with a lot of N. During the first season, there were two non-contact ACL injuries resulting from almost 38,000 athlete exposures in the intervention group, which was significantly fewer than the injuries in the control group, which had 32 ACL injuries resulting from almost 69,000 athlete exposures. Similar results were found in the second year too. Combined over the two years of the study, a total of six ACL ruptures occurred in the training group in comparison with 67 in the control group. So some limitations of this article, it would be obviously stronger as a randomized control study. It didn't clearly define the mechanism of injury from contact to non-contact. It also has an end of season reporting, which often leads to under-reporting. So onto our final study by Peter Senadol. This was a controlled prospective study, control study of ACL injury prevention in German female handball players. A lot of handball. An intervention designed to prevent ACL injuries was instituted with 10 teams, a total of 134 players. 10 other teams followed their normal training routines. The ACL prevention intervention consisted of three exercise components, balance board exercises, jump exercises, and balance mat exercises. Each component was progressed in six phases from easy to more difficult. There were five ACL injuries in the control group compared to one in the train group. There was not a significant reduction in the number of ACL injuries in the intervention compared to the control group, although ACL injury risk was 80% lower in the intervention group. Although the findings of the study were not statistically significant, the results looked potentially promising. The amount of subjects was too low in this study at a little less than 300, which automatically puts you in an underpowered position. This article definitely made me look up what handball was as a sport though, so I will say that. Let's move on into the discussion portion for all of these articles. I'd like to focus on as much as I can on the clinical implications of this research while also touching on some of the research components. The effects of three of the six interventions that reduced ACL injury rates appear to be relatively similar. These have a common rationale derived from performance enhancement training and physical rehabilitation for athletes. A comprehensive review of all six interventions reviewed suggests that multiple neuromuscular training components may provide some level of ACL injury risk reduction. Neuromuscular training likely alters active knee joint stabilization and appears to aid in decreasing ACL injury rates in female athletes. Plyometric training combined with biomechanical analysis and technique training were common components of all three studies that effectively reduced the ACL injury rates. Balance training alone is probably not as effective for injury prevention as when it's combined with other types of training. One needs to consider whether the team or the athlete's primary goal is injury prevention, performance enhancement, or both. In-season training alone is probably the most cost-effective and efficient method for receiving beneficial injury prevention effects. Recent studies using the in-season training program demonstrated that the ACL injury reduction is not observed until later in the season, and this in-season program did not appear to change biomechanical factors. So some studies talked about those plyometric components of the effective interactions. 
Four studies incorporated high-intensity jumping plyometric movements that progressed beyond footwork and agility into their intervention designs. Two did not. All four studies that incorporated plyometrics reduced ACL risk, whereas the two that did not incorporate those did not reduce ACL risk. The plyometric component of an exercise intervention, which trains the muscles, the connective tissue, the nervous system, to effectively carry out the stretch shortening cycle and focuses on proper technique. These adaptations may better prepare an athlete for more multi-directional sport activities and may reduce positioning that puts high loads on that ACL. Now let's look at the differences in biomechanic technique feedback effects. The three programs that significantly reduced ACL injury risk also used analysis of movement biomechanics and feedback to the athlete regarding proper body position and technique. Those three programs incorporated critical technique analysis and feedback during training into their intervention designs. Two studies did not include that, and of those two studies, neither reduced ACL injury risk as well. It's important to know awareness programs alone without training may not be effective in landing and cutting sports. It's important to teach athletes to avoid biomechanically disadvantageous and dangerous positions outside of just verbal cues. I also don't think it's very shocking to note that athletes are more likely to learn strategies by doing rather than being told, given that kinesthetic learning is a major piece of being successful in an athlete. On to balance training and core stability training. Balance training alone may not be sufficient to produce significant ACL injury prevention effects. One study focused on balance training primarily using unstable wobble boards. However, the intervention in this study was not effective in reducing ACL injuries. Two studies focused on incorporating single leg core stability, functional balance training, primarily using hold positions from a decelerated landing into their intervention strategies. Another study focused on the effects of a relatively comprehensive functional balance training intervention. Their interventions elaborated on a balance board protocol. Their findings support the integration of proprioceptive stability and balance training in ACL injury interventions. However, it appears that balance drills using unstable platforms alone may not be sufficient in reducing ACL injury risk. Last but not least, we're going to take a look into strength training within these research articles. Two of the six studies incorporated strength training in their intervention protocols. The designs that incorporated strength training were among the most effective at decreasing ACL injury rates, but strength training may not be a prerequisite for prevention. Strength training may be optional for injury prevention. However, the biomechanical and strength changes observed may have been owing in part to the strength training component. Resistance training may aid in the reduction of ACL injuries when combined with other training components. The efficacy of a single faceted resistance training protocol on ACL injury prevention has yet to be determined. This article then goes into things such as compliance of athletes, efficacy and efficiency, relative performance enhancement effects, and limitations of the study. In an effort to keep the meta-analysis brief and to the point, I'm going to go over their general conclusions. For efficacy and efficiency, a combination of preseason and in-season training program may prove the most successful. For compliance, even with athletes of high caliber, only 26% of the teams were judged compliant for the first year and 29% for the second year of the intervention. Team coaches are likely to direct the most compliant programs and they are the most inexpensive source of training assistance. Regarding relative performance enhancement effects, while neuromuscular training may reduce the risk of injury in female athletes, without the performance enhancement effects, athletes may not be motivated to participate in a neuromuscular training program. So if protocols are designed for both performance and enhancement and ACL prevention techniques, neuromuscular training may be instituted on a widespread basis with potentially higher athlete compliance. Regarding limitations of the studies, 
Their participants for the studies were relatively low. Four studies are not randomized control studies, and statistically, these studies are underpowered. Finally, the limitations of the meta-analysis includes publication bias as positive findings tend to get published. Other limitations include heterogeneity between studies, mixed designs between studies, and different follow-ups between the studies. So, we're in the tail end of our ACL crusade. Let's go over conclusions and take home points. There is evidence that neuromuscular training decreases potential biomechanical risk factors for ACL injury and decreases ACL injury incidence in female athletes. Final conclusions from this examination of these six studies are that neuromuscular training may assist in the reduction of ACL injuries in female athletes if, one, plyometrics, balance, and strengthening exercises are incorporated into a comprehensive training protocol, two, the training sessions are performed for more than one time per week, and three, the duration of the training program is a minimum of six weeks in length. Hopefully those three articles helped you all with the review of the risk factors, prevention, and management surrounding female athlete ACL injuries. If you're a visual person, there's so many online courses to take if you want to just do an extra hour or two to review. Next up, it looks like we're heading to Pantano 2009 with an article on the strategies used by physical therapists in the U.S. for the treatment and prevention of the female athlete triad. Hope to see you all listening there. Bye, everyone.